I'm Chara Santilli. I was born with ambition. My parents were entrepreneurs and I pushed myself to be high school valedictorian, class president, most artistic, and most likely to succeed. The summer I turned 19, we celebrated my dad's 50th birthday with a hot air balloon ride. A crash landing left him with a broken neck, me with a broken heart, and my mom coping through alcohol. My relentless ambition helped me become a successful entrepreneur, yet my own private paralysis and overachiever addiction ruled me. I finally ventured on a quest for my best life. I found the path of my inner peace, how to stay on it and how to show the way for others. Now it's your turn. Ready to take that load off your shoulders? Join me so you can cherish your life. Today, I want to share with you a book I recently listened to called Big Magic, and the subtitle is Creative Living Beyond Fear. The book was written by bestselling author Elizabeth Gilbert, who you may know as the author of Eat, Pray, Love, and I listened to the Audible book version, and Elizabeth narrated it herself. She has a really warm, lovely voice, and I really enjoyed listening to her. The way she spoke, the way she arranged her words, it, it she's really an artist, and it also, though, felt like I was listening to an inspiring, wise, candid, and really down-to-earth girlfriend. This book was an instant number one New York Times bestseller, and I love a review I read by Pop Sugar. It says, a must-read for anyone hoping to live a creative life. I dare you not to be inspired to be brave, to be free, and to be curious. And here's the official book summary. Readers of all ages and walks of life have drawn inspiration and empowerment from Elizabeth Gilbert's books for years. Now this beloved author digs deep into her own generative process to share her wisdom and unique perspective about creativity. With profound empathy and radiant generosity, she offers potent insights into the mysterious natures, nature of inspiration. She asks us to embrace our curiosity and let go of needless suffering. She shows us how to tackle what we most love and how to face down what we most fear. She discusses the attitudes, approaches, and habits we need in order to live our most creative lives. Balancing between soulful spirituality and cheerful pragmatism, pragmatism, Gilbert encourages us to uncover the quote-unquote strange jewels that are hidden within each of us. Whether we are looking to write a book, make art, find new ways to address challenges in our work, embark on a dream long deferred, or simply infuse our everyday lives with more mindfulness and passion, big magic cracks open a world of wonder and joy. So I'm going to share with you some of my favorite key takeaways from the book. It was really hard to narrow down to a handful for this episode, but here we go. Here are some that really jumped out at me. Liz shared a story about a friend of hers who had quit a hobby of ice skating in her childhood because she knew she wasn't going to be doing it professionally. She eventually took up the hobby again as an adult and found so much joy in it. But, you know, there were some points to this. One... Our culture does tend to have us leave joyful activities of childhood behind when we transition into adulthood. It 
takes a real concerted effort to either keep those things in our lives or, more commonly, find a way to bring them back into our lives later on in life when we finally face the fact that we miss them and we decide this life's too short not to experience that kind of joy again. That's what I see with my clients and even in my own experience that it was some things that were missing that we wanted to pull back into our life that just the typical path of becoming adult tended to have some of those more joyful hobbies and things drop out. So bringing them back in, it really takes concerted effort. And yet when we do it, the reward is immense. And and that's what Liz shared about her friend. One of the funniest things in the book, especially funny to me, since my coaching certification is through Fearless Living, so I know a lot and talk a lot about fear, is that this quote from Liz in the book, your fear is like a mall cop who thinks he's a Navy SEAL. He hasn't slept in days. He's all hopped up on Red Bull, and he's liable to shoot at his own shadow in an absurd effort to keep everyone safe. (laughs) I find that just really entertaining image. A mall cop thinks he's a Navy SEAL, hasn't slept in days, hopped up on Red Bull, and liable to shoot his own shadow just to try to keep everyone safe. Yeah, that um, that definitely can be a perfect image uh, to describe what's going on in the fear center of our brains because there's there I know from my training and that and and learning through not only my coaching but also through learning about the brain and neuroscience. Additionally, this last few years is that there's a part of our brain that actually just never matures and it doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know the difference between true real life threats and things that just are emotional because it it's it's not really evolved over time and its immediate reaction is it, it will clump all those things together. So whether it's an emotional, you know, even a minor emotional threat sometimes, but in the right way can get triggered to have a reaction as if it was a life-death situation. So reading this visual, I mean, uh, having this visual now about her, what she pictures fear to be just, I think is, it was just an awesome uh, description. (laughs) And then she goes on to share that she even has a welcoming speech that for fear when she's embarking on anything new because she knows it's going to show up. And she's absolutely right. Fear will show up anytime we step into anything new. She also shared a story about Brene Brown, who told Liz that when Brene wrote her books, it was a very challenging process that she basically slogged through and didn't really enjoy. She felt kind of like a martyr during the process. And Liz told her to access her trickster instead of her martyr so that she could write a book through a more joyful process. So what Brene ended up doing for her next book was that she went to a beach house with girlfriends and she engaged with them in conversation about what she wanted to write about. 
And then she would go into another room to transcribe and organize the conversation into a section for the book. This process made the writing of that book very enjoyable for her. Even though the content was very serious, she had fun creating it and doing it because she found a way to make the process fun for her by enrolling girlfriends and making it a weekend at a beach. Um, So that is really smart, really smart uh, approach. The idea of tricking this part of us that, you know, again, kind of is connected with the fears, connected with some of these other emotions that come up. And so finding ways to trick that so that we can get done some things we want to get done, but in such a way that we enjoy doing them when maybe the basic task at hand or the experience of that task has seemed more laborious in the in the past or, or truly, um, you know, as she put it, feeling like a martyr during that process. So I absolutely love the idea of accessing our inner trickster to outsmart some of those other parts of us. In another chapter, Liz spoke about not treating your creations like they're your babies, because then you can't be lighthearted with them and you can't be okay with whatever happens to them. She shared an example of a short story she wrote that she felt was the best thing she'd ever written, but the publication that was going to publish it needed her to cut it down by 30% in order to fit in a high profile ad. So she thought that the story at 10 pages was already the tightest it could possibly be. And she didn't feel like there were any unnecessary words. So shortening it down from 10 to seven pages initially seemed pretty impossible to her, but she ended up agreeing to chop it up because she wanted it to get published. And she was pleasantly surprised at how the process went, because not only was she able to get it down to bare bones and cut 30%, which she didn't even know was possible at the beginning, she also was able to rework it so that it would be powerful in the shorter version. Because as you can imagine, you chop something up like that, you got to like massage it and rework it again to make it make sense and flow and, and come across well. I picture her as if she was like a chef in a kitchen being challenged to only use a portion of the ingredients from their prized recipe. And the chef being able to remaster a and recreate, you know, or, or create a new brand new dish that may have seemed similar to the original, yet ultimately took on a life of its own and became this fabulous, tasty dish. That's an what came to mind when I um, was thinking about this example of her. And it really is a great way to think about us in life when we've got to supposedly tear something back, change something that we think is perfect, that we've worked so hard on. Can we play with it? Can we picture ourselves as if we were like this chef in the kitchen and you know, on one of those cooking shows where they give them ingredients and different things. Like imagine you had this perfect dish and it had 10 ingredients. And then they, they said, you've got to drop three of them 
and you have to figure out which, you know, or maybe they determined which ones to drop. And then you're left with this combination. You have to figure out how to make this dish as fabulous, but it's going to be a new dish. So I really, that came to mind just in my own, my own visual of that came to mind when I was thinking about this concept. And this all actually ties into something else I loved in the book. Liz talks about how she thinks curiosity is more important than passion. And I see this connected with that prior story because if she didn't let herself tap into curiosity to see if she could cut and rework the story, if she had let her passion rule her, then she may have missed the opportunity to create a new version that ended up surprising her. Plus, she would have missed the opportunity to be able to share it with others. And in my own experience, I found that having passion for something can make you clingy and easily tempted into having expectations and then being disappointed. I'm not saying that passion is bad, but being able to be curious on a regular basis daily or even multiple times per day really is something that will help you navigate life with more ease. I mean, and even curious about what you're feeling in any moment, like that micro level of curiosity can completely change your life. Um, let's see what else I loved. Liz practices this response of, that's interesting. When things happen that seem awful, because the drama in anything is lessened with the concept of interesting. And I'm totally putting that in my bag of tricks for how to avoid black and white thinking, because interesting doesn't let you jump into that really stark black and white thinking that is super limiting. Interesting leaves room for all kinds of gray. And it's in the gray where we can find more peace of mind and where we can also find the gifts and the opportunities and even the shittiest of situations. And when it comes to the concept of failure, I loved the image she created where she spoke about chopping up failure and using it for bait to catch another project. People often talk about learning from failure, but this is the first time I've ever heard anything around a visual of using it to to bait something as if it was on a fishing rod. I have really fond memories of fishing with my family and my grandpa when I was a child. So I especially love this visual, I guess. Um, and I love visuals like that because they are something that I can really grab a hold of. And I find that they're more effective to switch my attitude than just trying to practice the general concept of learning from your failures. So I loved that uh, idea. Overall, throughout the book, Liz talks about being creative and being curious and trusting yourself, a fierce trusting of yourself. And these are all things that I've really been accessing more for myself, as well as helping my clients with. So it all very much resonated with me. And I know from what I've learned on my own about the brain from other reading I've done. I mean, she doesn't directly talk about the brain so much, um, but I'm bringing it in here because it's interesting connection. 
when you get curious and creative, that's when you can really tap into the right side of your brain. Our bodies function in such a way where we tend to have a left brain bias, which makes sense because our fear center is there. And it's pretty important to have that turned on so that we can stay alive. But like I mentioned before, it's on high alert and very overreactive many of the times. It has been proven though that if we can access the right side more and then use our whole brain instead of being left brain dominant, things can feel easier and lighter and life is more enjoyable. So I think you can probably sense I really loved this book and I highly recommend it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you. You can check it out on um, if you want to listen to it like I did on Audible or or uh, get the paperback or hard copy or Kindle version. And I'm going to close today with a passage from the book by Elizabeth Gilbert. I believe this is one of the oldest and most generous tricks the universe plays on us human beings, both for its own amusement and for ours. The universe buries strange jewels deep within us all, and then stands back to see if we can ever find them. The hunt to uncover those jewels, that's creative living. The courage to go on that hunt in the first place, that's what separates a mundane existence from a more enchanted one. The awesome, surprising results of that hunt, that's what I call big magic. I hope you're enjoying my Cherish Your Life podcast. If this is supporting you in any way, please review, subscribe, and share it with friends and family. You can follow me on social media at Cheris Your Life, and my website is CherisYourLife.com. Yep, my name's unique. Here's an easy tip for you to pronounce and spell it. It's like the city, Paris, but with a CH. Special thanks to my dear friend, Paul Suyelgis, who enhanced and mixed the musical track. Little did we know back in college in the 90s, while my then boyfriend, now husband, and I listened to Paul riff on his guitar, that he'd be helping me decades later give a creative touch to something called a podcast. <laughs>